Welcome to episode 26 of 1530. Now introducing your hosts, Ben and Matt. Today, we're going to be discussing the Australian Open final and how exciting the Australian Open was and talking about the players who have set themselves up for a good season. We're going to talk about the numbers behind that. We're going to rehash the serve factor and talk about it with Matt, who wasn't here with us last time. First, we're going to start off with the stat of the day. So the stat of the day naturally is going to come from that Grand Slam final against Novak Djokovic against Dominic Team. It was an exciting five-set final, and a couple numbers stood out. A couple numbers were made in the stat of the day. So each of them won 42% of break points exactly to the T, which you don't see every day, as well as they had the exact same number of unforced errors, 57 apiece with actually team winning a little bit little bit more winners, 55 winners to 46 for Djokovic. So those are our stats of the day. Now, based on those numbers, you might think, well, it was a very, very tight match. Same exact number of break points, same exact number of errors, unforced errors. Maybe team wins because he has more winners, and that's, as you probably know, turned out not to be the case. So let's talk about that. Matt, what are your thoughts? Australian Open, Djokovic again winning another Australian Open, and team making the final. It's pretty impressive him being on a hard court final it is yeah he's really shown himself to be a a hard court player as well as a clay quarter uh, which is great it's impressive to see him out there and he won uh, his first what atp 1000 i think uh, last year at Indian wells so had some nice play on the hard courts there and then yeah in the aussie open he played well took out rafa on his way to the finals and like yeah. you said, yeah. I, the interesting thing about that final match I, uh, against Joke, I think, is that uh, it was really just a match of sets. I, none of them went to tie breaks. They were all um, pretty decisive wins by each person that won each set. And uh, team had him on the ropes. He had his chances, right? He's up two sets to one. Just mm-hmm. reiterating stuff you already know. It was, had his had his opportunities to close it out, but Joke and his incredible ability to just really shut things down and get to work it's came out once again and he pulled through an impressive win for him right number eight so he's got Yazi, rafa's got clay fed's got wimbledon the u.s open's always kind of a toss-up yeah it's uh, i mean you said it right what's that i said i mean you said it right each of them had their own tournaments right like Djokovic is pretty much only Australian Open. He has eight. I think Federer might have six, but eight, you know, for Joke, eight Wimbledons for Federer. Of course, Nadal, what does he have? 12 Roland Garros. So he stands alone a little bit, but each of them kind of has their favorite. You're right. And US Open, just, I don't know if it's late in the season or what, but they just, it seems to be kind of a free for all. Lately, Djokovic and Nadal have been owning that tournament, but. I wonder if they all just made a deal with each other. Like, all right, you take this tournament, you take this one, I'll take this one. Let's just dominate the. <laughs> yeah, it almost seems that way, right? Little, uh, little cartel going on there, right? Controlling, controlling the power. But yeah, no, I think you brought up a good point. It was a, it was a strange match in that way. Like you said, each set was kind of its own story, but team looked really good. And like you mentioned, I think he has won, he had won some Masters one thousands on clay. But like you said, that was his first hard court Masters one thousand. Right. Before that. He really wasn't that good on the hard court. I think we've discussed before his past numbers and really improving on that surface on the hard court. 
He made the U.S. Open semifinal or maybe it was quarterfinal a few years ago against Nadal. Really, really tight match. Maybe kind of a turning point for him, figuring out a way to attack that first ball and still using his strengths. Still can use a ton of spin, but I mean, he's going for his shots, man. Like watching the Nadal match was great to see him uh, play so well. And I don't, I don't want to discount either. You know, the the end of the year tournament, ATP Finals, Tsitsipas won. Sure, is in the third set tiebreaker, but remember, team was right there too. I think he's been one of the more consistent guys on hard courts this past season. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see him go deep again at the U.S. Open and and as well as Indian Wells trying to defend his title. So impressed with him. He's really improved. The other young guns, he's disappointed somewhat. I mean, Medvedev had that really, really tight five-setter against Stan. And, of course, Zverev was on the losing end of team in the semi. Right. But at least Zverev made a semi, right? Like, I'm pretty impressed with that. Yeah, it was interesting to see, right? One side of the, one side of the bracket, you were going to put a young gun in no matter what, which is good to see. Yeah, it was cool. Well, let's also uh, talk about Surf Factor. So just to kind of recap for listeners who didn't hear the last episode or um, also for Matt because he wasn't here last time. So we came up with a new a new parameter here at uh, 1530. So we want to – it kind of encapsulates because, you know, normally in a traditional box score you have first serves in, first serve points one, second serve points one, and you kind of have to decipher through those three numbers. It's not hard, but it would be nice to have one parameter – that describes all of those. And that's kind of what the serve mark is. Basically, you're taking your first serve percentage, multiplying it by your first serve points one as a whole number, and then you add that to your second serve points one. So first serve's kind of weighted toward how many of those serves are getting in, which which makes sense. And then you end up with a whole number that's, uh, we've seen it be over 100. Djokovic has had that, and some others, Zverev has had that. But then you can compare it against um, their given opponent. So, for example, in the Australian Open final, we had Djokovic with a, a serve factor, very good number of 100, uh, pretty much exactly. And, and team was about 89, a little over 89. And so the differential there is 11. So what we found is that when you take the differential, it can kind of show what the kind of explain the match. It's kind of a, a story in and of itself. So we've seen just from charting quarterfinals on in the Australian Open that a serve factor difference, a delta of 30 or more, is a decisive straight sets victory. Uh, a delta of about 20 is a tight three-setter or a decisive four-setter. And then so on and so forth. Ten, a difference of 10 is a tight four-setter or a decisive five-setter. So that's kind of what we saw in the number here, 11. You know, I, I would call it maybe closer than a, than a, than a five-sets decisive set. But really, the way Djokovic was serving, I mean, he, he really did play well and it had to overcome some bad stretches. Maybe he's one of the best players – Maybe not at always playing beautiful tennis, but he's definitely one of the best players at at playing endurance tennis and finding a way to win. I think he really is one of the best at that. Nadal's good too, but I just think Nadal or Djokovic, excuse me, can just find ways, even on his bad days. We think Federer, when he's had such a good day against him at Wimbledon, and Djokovic just found a way to to steady the storm and to win uh, the tie breaks. So I thought that was interesting as well. But Matt, what are your thoughts on the surf factor and this this new parameter? I think it's an interesting metric. Um, obviously, that first first serve is extremely important, and 
the the percentage that you get in as well as the number of points that you win on that first serve keep the pressure off your second keep the pressure off of your your service games in general um i think it's interesting there are a few examples you have here from the aussie open that uh this did not predict uh the winner right so in the semi-final between team and zverev um zverev actually had a, a higher higher surf factor than than team did even though and still lost the match i think you can look at these numbers and determine that's probably because zverev was serving he got what 81 percent of his first serves in which is ridiculous really high yeah but he was only winning i mean he won 68 percent of those which is good that's good um but yeah i mean that made his serve factor pretty high and so teams was much lower he was serving at a more human 67 percent for serves in he was winning 80 percent of those which is impressive but um uh definitely made his surf factor a little bit lower so i the thing is it only takes one game right it only takes one break and so yep you, you can have some beautiful serving but if you have one bad game not necessarily going to come through in the overall match stats but it's all it takes for that. Well, right, and, and that's actually what you're saying. It's like you're saying you don't even need a break because I think in this match there were several tiebreakers. Mm-hmm. Right. Like you said, didn't determine the right victor. Same with the team match against Nadal. Several tiebreakers where, again, it just wasn't able to, to show through the numbers. And I guess the importance of tiebreakers, because same thing with the Djokovic-Fetter, right? The numbers would show that Fetter should have won that, but – doesn't take into account tiebreakers. So tiebreaks really are a unique thing in the game, and it's it's pretty underrated. If you win tiebreaks, you're probably going to win if, if you get there. So I think you bring up a great point. There is a weakness to this uh, parameter. At least there's some limitations. But, I yeah, I still thought it was interesting, especially because, you know, we talk about, well, you need to have a complete game, right? You need to be able to, to serve well. Returning is also important, especially on second serves. But really, if you just do a serve factor for each person – and you do the differential, it's kind of baked in, right? How well someone's returning based on how well someone's right. receiving. So you just only really need the one parameter for each guy. So I thought that was interesting too, that you can pretty much predict the match to a fairly good uh, degree of certainty based on just the surf factors for each person. Right. No, I agree with that. Yeah. With your returning, you can control to an extent, right? The, your opponent's surf factor. If you're exactly if you're a lot of return points, then, yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. Okay, so I know we don't want to do too much of a preview for the new year, but just talking about anybody that we saw do well or looking forward to. I know we have, I guess I suppose it is a hard court season in, in North America for a little bit. Indian Wells, Miami, first Dubai, I guess, too. Um, and then we move into the clay. But anybody you're looking at, especially from the performance at the U.S. Open or the Australian Open? Yeah, no, I – I think it's impressive that Zavera made it to a semi. Um, Monfils has been playing some good tennis, uh, not necessarily at the Aussie. I think he did okay at the Aussie, but uh, in some of these smaller tournaments, uh, right. playing through after the Aussie, he's had some good wins and hanging around, which is interesting. I feel like I feel like Monfils has been around for ages, so he must just really love the sport uh, and just hangs around and keeps playing. Um, I always keep an eye on Rafa. He did well. He, you know, he made it to the semifinals of Aussie. He was looking good. 
I feel like uh, the hard court's always hard on him. It's always hard to make it the full Fortnite. Um, right. But uh, yeah, no, he had a, a solid, you know, a super good match against team, and team pulled out the the win there and played real aggressive and looked really well, really good. So it'll be interesting to see if team can maintain that. How he kind of how he handles that loss that he had to Djokovic if he picks himself back up pretty quick or takes him a second to get back around to it. So. Yeah, and, and I just wonder, to your point on team, I wonder how long he'll be able to, you know, he, he made a deep run at the Aussie Open. wonder if he'll make deep runs at Miami Indian Wells, who obviously want to try to defend his title. He's defending 1,000 points there. Right. But, of course, now Roger Federer being the number, you know, he's probably going to drop from the number three spot because he just announces he has an injury. He's going to be doing a surgery on his knee. So he'll be out through at least the French Open, right? So that – Team's probably eyeing that number three spot can get that pretty easily, probably. But I just wonder if he's going to be super tired from this taxing hardcourt season, then go into the clay, his favorite season. I expect him to do well there and to try really hard, especially at Roland Garros, especially at Madrid where he does well. And then is that going to leave him sapped for Wimbledon in the next hardcourt season? So that's something that I'm I'm looking at, just seeing how well he does. Because remember, Medvedev went deep every single tournament, and then. You know, he almost won the slam, but didn't. And then the rest of the season, he was just a little bit gassed. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I'm looking at uh, Medvedev, too. Still thought he played great tennis. Came up against Stan, who Stan was looking really good, actually. Um, Zverev, especially once once Stan took that first set 6-1 against Zverev. I'm like, oh, here goes Zverev again. He's imploding. But then Stan was the one that imploded, not Zverev. So, interesting there. But I think Stan's playing some good tennis. Tennis Sandergren. I don't know why he does well at the Australian Open, but he's made two quarterfinals, and he was serving and playing really well against Federer. Honestly, should have won against Federer based on all those match points. But I just wonder if he can make some noise. He actually likes the clay too. I think he's won the Houston uh, ATP title there. So don't know if he can make any noise, but he's he was actually a pretty good player here at the Australian Open. Uh, it's always nice to see a little bit of uh, American. <laughs> America's going through a, a nice uh, slump. I agree. And then lastly, just want to look at uh, Djokovic and Nadal. I think this opens up a huge opportunity for Djokovic. Federer won the Sunshine Double, which is uh, winning Indian Wells and Miami, both pretty sunny places. He won that in 2017. And last year, Federer defended his title Miami, almost defended his title Indian Wells. So just wonder if Djokovic can uh, – can go back. He's been a big time winner at both those tournaments too. So I think this opens it up for him. Uh, he has the most to gain, probably Djokovic than the young guns. So wonder if he can do well there at the at those tournaments and also have a deep run in the clay. And then if, like you're saying, Nadal, he always does good there, but I think he he really does save his best for for the clay, which is understandable. That's his best chance to win. So okay. I think there's a lot of fun players to watch. Again, I want to see Tsitsipas on the clay. He has a great clay court game. He has really a good all court game, but. I want to see him do well on the clay, but those are some of the people I'm looking forward to watching. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see it after Sisipas uh, came down to earth a little bit. Well, I guess I mean he won the the year in tournament, which is great. Yeah, did he, he win did. the year in tournament? That- he did. He did. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he, he like stormed onto the stage what the beginning of 2019, and then had some quiet months kind of there, the and then won the end. So it'll be interesting to see now that things have kind of regressed back to the norm, see where that norm is for him. 
Yeah, so, you're right. That's really weird. He starts the year with a bang, ends the year with a bang. He's yeah. an interesting player, very fun player to watch. Most definitely, yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, one one player we want to discuss um, on this episode is Andy Murray. So I know that guy's been through a rough go. I think he had to pull out some future tournaments here. I don't know if he'll be able to play Wimbledon or whatnot, but obviously not 100%. Last season, he started to have some good signs where he beat Stan in the, I believe it was the European final, which is a small ATP 250, but still some great signs of encouragement. He was starting to play some decent tennis again, but just want to talk about kind of his numbers then uh, toward the end of last season and what his career numbers are. And then also want to compare him to his huge rival, Novak Djokovic, right? They... They're only born a couple months apart. They're very similar age, very similar game styles even. A lot of people have said that really Andy Murray and Djokovic, they, they're they kind of like playing each other. It's kind of like looking in the mirror, right, when you're playing each other because they both have such strong backhands. They're both very consistent. They're both very fit. They kind of run you over the court. Not huge all-court games, but they can if they need to, but they prefer to just to slug it from the baseline. So, And we've had some really close matches over the years, right? I mean, Murray has won a couple slams over him with the U.S. Open final, U.S. Open 2012, as well as Wimbledon 2013, when the first time that Murray won Wimbledon, so his in his second Grand Slam. And then in the Olympics, in route to winning um, the gold medal. But then it seems like, you know, all the times they met in the Australian Open, it's been, it's been crazy. They met in like five finals or something like that. Djokovic has won all of them. And so you kind of kind of start to feel bad for Murray. And so we want to look at the numbers to see really are they as similar as their style would seem that they would be. And then if they are, kind of that, what's that differential? Why has Djokovic been so successful? Because he really has beaten Murray quite a few times. So I want to kind of want to dive into that. So if we look at the numbers here, but first, anything to say about Murray and, and Djokovic and their similarities? No, I think he covered it. I mean, they're both um, known for their returning, their return game, and just consistent as all get out, right? It's Definitely. tough to tough to get a ball by him, and and they just are able to get themselves in every point, able to turn defense into offense very well, and yeah, it serves them serves them well on the, the tennis matches that they play. Right. Yeah. Well said. So let's compare. I guess first we'll do Joker or do Murray then and now, and then we'll do Andy Murray versus Djokovic and see kind of keep you on the edge of your seat to see the difference in numbers here. So we'll look at Murray. So before the injury, he was as far as serves, and really I should probably calculate all this out in serve factors and see just one convenient number, but hadn't done that yet. So overall, Murray back in his prime. You know, career, especially when he was world number one, 2016, kind of when he peaked, and then after that, obviously had the injury problems. Murray was winning about 81% of service games, or 82% of service games, excuse me, and then he was winning 81% of service games by the end of last year, kind of last year's average. So not a huge difference, service games. The big, big numbers of note are his aces are down 1.5%, and Murray actually was always one to ace a little bit more than than Djokovic. Not necessarily more than Federer, but I think the big difference is the second serve. Murray was no, always known to kind of have a weaker second serve than Djokovic. So just something to bear in mind here as we look at the numbers. Murray's first serves, basically the same. First serve points, one. Actually, we're, they're up 1% this uh, 
last year in 2019 compared to his career. But the second serve points won 2%. So then maybe even a weaker second serve since coming back from injury because he was winning 2% more points in his prime. So then we'll go down to his return game. Like we said, that's his biggest strength. And so looks like ace, per, ace percent against was 5% better in his prime. So again, just showing he's not moving super well since that surgery, right? That he he's always been able to cover the court really well, be a good returner, but he's getting he's been getting aced 5% of the time more. That's very significant. As far as first serve points one, return points one, he was winning 5% more in his heyday as well. And 5% more break points. Second serve was a little bit less. It was 2%. So, again, not moving super well against those first serves. More aces. He's winning less of those first serves. So, overall, this is leading him to win 16% fewer matches. So, pretty big difference. He was winning 77% of his matches over his career. And then this last year, he was only winning 61% of his matches. So, you can kind of see the serve. It wasn't a huge difference. It was mostly on the second serve. But return, it's a huge, huge difference. I think we saw the same thing with Stan, right? His serve was still pretty good. Because obviously you don't have to run and strain yourself when you're serving. You have control over that shot. But once you're returning, you're kind of at the mercy of your opponent and as good as your legs are. And I think Murray's legs just aren't back yet. That's kind of what I'm seeing from these numbers. Anything else you're seeing, Matt? No, I think you got it. Yeah. Lack of movement, which is understandable, right? I mean, he had a hip surgery, a crazy hip surgery. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so hopefully, I mean, yeah, so hopefully, I mean, he's doing a lot of physio, so I would expect that to improve, just like Stans did, right? I mean, Stans are significantly improved, but just right now, I mean, he does need to get better. He's not gonna even even go deep in a tournament, let alone win a tournament. So, yeah, a significant tournament. I guess he won the ATP 250, but when at least a 1,000, I would even say maybe a 500, he would need to go deeper. Okay, so let's look at Novak's career stats. So I'll be fair to Murray, and we won't use his 2019 stats. We'll look at Murray's stats to Novak stats. So as I was talking about, Murray does ace more often. Looks like about 3% more. 10% of the time for Murray, 3% of the time, 7% of the time for Novak on career average. Double faults, 3.1% to 3%. So pretty much exactly the same. First serve percentage, uh, quite a bit higher for Djokovic, it looks like. 65% to 58% for Murray. So maybe he just goes for it a little bit more on the ace and then is missing more first serves. Now that's lower than I expected on the first serve points, first serve percentage. That's more closer to like Stan Wawrinka's. He serves at like the 50-something percent. First serve points one, Murray's is higher, 75% to 73.6 for Djokovic. Second serve points one, I would expect Djokovic to be better. And he is. He's won 55.5% to 50% for Murray. So that's a big difference. That's about a 5% difference there. Statistically significant for sure. So overall, Murray won 81% of his service games to Djokovic's 86%. So that's a 5% difference. That's decent. Let's go look at their... Yeah, it was just slightly different. I guess he was winning 82% of his service games. So still a difference of 4%. Okay, and then for return game... Ace against is 6% and 6%. So both of them get aced about the same amount of time. Both great returners. Their first serve return points won 33.4 to 33.6 for Djokovic. So about the same. Second serve return points one 55.1 Murray, 55.1 Djokovic. So if you're seeing a scary, eerie pattern here, 
it's yes, they are both extremely scary returners, and their numbers are about the same, which is pretty funny. Their break points won 43.5% Murray, 44.5% for Djokovic. Return points won overall 42%. Overall for Djokovic, 42%. So overall, Murray was winning over his career 31.5% return games to Djokovic's 32%. So within a half percent, service games won, or return games won, excuse me. So again, you can see the difference has been the serve. 4% more games won by Novak. So then you go down to their career wins. So you can look. So overall, points won. Djokovic is winning 54.5%, and Murray's winning about 53, almost in a half percent. A difference of about a percent, and then overall matches won 77 and a half for Murray, 83 percent for Novak, and really six percent difference there, five and a half percent difference on matches won. That's the difference between a, a two slam winner and a and a 17 slam winner, or three slam winner, excuse me. He has two Wimbledons in U.S. Open and a 17 slam winner, especially since Murray wasn't able to stay healthy. So it's really interesting how those very, very tiny differences, especially looks like on the serve. And on the second serve in particular, since Murray's better on the first serve, but Djokovic better on the second serve and basically the same on the return, but he's had radically different results. So I thought that was pretty surprising looking at that. What what do you think, Matt? I agree. I think it's kind of eerie how similar their return percentages are and how uh, it just shows, you know, I talk about this a lot, but you look at these percentages and things and you think, oh, that's not that big of a difference. But in this case, oh, it makes a big difference. And obviously there are numbers yeah. behind these percentages, right? So obviously I'm sure Joke has played more matches, hit more serves um, over his career than Murray, maybe. Um, but, in, you know, and so that impacts things. Their percentages might be the same, but it's had. Sure. More points to to get that up and to get that going. More opportunities, but it is uh, it is neat to be able to see those comparisons. And, and you know, that makes sense. Their style of play is similar, and so it comes down to just a few key key aspects of the game, and that's where Joke has made the difference. Right, and, right. and, and that was one thing I would think of. It's like, okay – Djokovic is so much more clutch. He's going to have way better breakpoint percentage, but really breakpoint percentage, I mean, his was better, but it was like not even a full percent. Right. So yeah. I thought that was interesting. I thought I, I personally thought it was going to be rapidly bigger. So I'm like, Djokovic has won 17 titles. Murray's won three, but you forget about the health. And then you just forget about, yes. Yeah, so what if the return game is exactly the same, which it pretty much is statistically. And really when you watch it, it looks very similar. They're both extremely good at returning. But really, the you know the interesting thing is Djokovic just has a great second serve and Murray doesn't. That's, to me, the bottom line. And so I think that applies to club players too, right? If you don't have a good second serve, you're only as good as your second serve. If you don't have a good second serve, even those close matches, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come back to bite you, right? I mean, Federer has been known to tee up Murray's second serve. Same with Djokovic and others. They try to attack it a lot. But then it's also funny too, right? Murray actually aces more, right? So if he just somehow got more first serves in or somehow had a better second serve, but like you said, it's a game of inches and very, very small statistical differences, you know, have a rapidly huge outcome on not only more matches won, but ultimately titles won. And 
and your your whole career and and how you're perceived, right? I mean, Murray's perceived maybe as an underachiever a little bit. Mm-hmm. Most At definitely least he's number one, but uh, for not very long. And he's two time gold medals. Can't take that away from him. That's amazing accomplishment. But slams, it just definitely seems like he's underachieved a little bit. He has right. as many as Stan Wawrinka. He has three slams. So Djokovic seventeen and counting, unfortunately for for Federer <laughs> fans and Nadal fans, but. Yeah, I just thought that was interesting to look at the numbers and really how close how close him and Djokovic are, especially on the return game. It really kind of confirmed what uh, the eye test would say about that. Yep. Yeah, to give him a little credit, I think there's probably more pressure on on Murray, seeing as how he's an Englishman, a Brit, and yep. uh, one of the slams is played there. And so, I mean, every time he went to the grass courts, there was just huge amounts of pressures for the hometown hero to win. And so... Sure that's I'm sure that plays into a little bit of the underachiever uh, uh, feelings, that vibes that we get from Murray. But, but no, certainly, right? I mean, he's been so close so many times. You think that he'd be able to get more than three out? Yeah, and I think the biggest one is just Australian Open right there. I mean, he's done well Wimbledon when he's played Novak, but it's Australian Open. He just can't win there, right? I mean, he's lost like five finals to Djokovic. Yep. He's lost a French Open final to him, and then. Um, I don't know if he's lost the US Open final, but definitely he's just been there and not quite able to to pull ahead. I mean, there's a few times I think he won the first set in Roland Garros. He won the first set a couple times in Australia. And I'm like, maybe Murray's got this. And then he just, <laughs> you know, Djokovic is the ultimate comeback thing. He really is, you know. So it's been interesting to watch. And uh, there you have it. There's Andy Djokovic, as we call this little segment here. The hybrid player of Andy Djokovic. <laughs> Yeah, but as always, uh, please visit us at CognitionSphere.com. Our theme music is brought to us by Kevin MacLeod with excerpts from his song Cool Rock. And until next time, we will see you on the...